Well, church, lovely to see you this morning. I don't know what's wrong with this side, particularly the area around Dom. Uh, I don't know why you've all pushed off to the sides, but um, well done, Dom. So as Lee said, we're starting a new series today called Vision 2023. And we're going to be taking the next six weeks or so to think about what is God calling us to as a church this coming year. So I'm really excited about this. Um, if you've got a Bible, if you could turn to Acts chapter 16, we're going to locate what God is saying to us in these verses today. So Acts chapter 16, verses 6 through to verse 34. Paul and his companions travelled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man from Macedonia standing and begging him, come to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. From Troas, we put out to sea and sailed straight for Samanthrake, and the next day we went on to Neapolis. From there, we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony in the leading city of that district of Macedonia, and we stayed there for several days. On the Sabbath, we went out of the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatria named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshipper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptised, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. Once when we were going down to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, these men are servants of the most high God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the spirit left her. When her owners realised that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, these men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in stocks. Not a great day for Paul and his friends. After midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everybody's chains came loose. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors opened, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought his prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, "'Don't harm yourself. We are all here.'" 
The jailer called for lights, rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his household were baptised. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. This is the word of the Lord. So today we are starting a new series called Vision 2023 and we're going to be exploring what God is calling us to as a church over the coming months and year and we're going to be thinking about how we as individuals and as a church family can play our part in this. Now, as I said earlier, we're going to take quite a few weeks to do this. We're going to take the next six weeks to look at this. And so what I'm going to do today is paint an overview of where we believe God is calling us to. And then over the next three weeks, we're going to look specifically at what it means for us in 2023 to follow Jesus, build community and love Newcastle. And then we're going to spend the last two weeks looking at two very specific values that God is calling us to inhabit as we live our lives together. So that's a little overview of where we're going. Now church, we live in a time and in a specific cultural moment that is desperate, desperately needs to hear the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And we live in a place, Newcastle and more broadly the North East, that desperately needs the gospel to be preached and the manifest power and presence of God to be displayed. In the UK, the number, you may have seen this in the news recently, in the UK, the number of people professing to be Christians and the number of people attend church every single week is declining year after year, decade after decade. It's going down and down. And in the Diocese of Newcastle, where we're currently sat, um, St Thomas's is part of the Diocese of Newcastle, and we've been called to serve it. The Diocese of Newcastle has a population of 850,000 people. 850,000 people. Average church attendance in the Diocese of Newcastle on any given Sunday is just 7,300. Now that puts church attendance in the diocese at 0.85%. If you add in the free churches as well, then it may just tip 1%. Now that means, church, that for every 99 people that walk past you in the street, or you see in a restaurant, or walk past the front door of our church, or sit in your lecture halls, or you see at work, 99 in every 100 do not have a living relationship with the king of the universe. 99 people in every 100 do not live in the reality of the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. 99 in every 100 people in our region does not know that God loved them so much that he sent his one and only son to die for them on a cross and to rise so that we can have life and life in all its fullness. Isn't that shocking? Do you know that this region is one of the most unchurched regions in all of Europe? Now, in the passage we're looking at today, 
Paul and his little community of fellow church planters arrive in a city called Philippi, where there is hardly anybody that knows the one true God. And nobody there knows the good news about Jesus. Now we know this because there isn't a synagogue in Philippi. One of Paul's main missionary tactics was to go to a city and turn up at the synagogue. There's no synagogue in Philippi and we know that because the women are gathered to pray and you need at least 10 men, you needed at least 10 men to form a synagogue. So there's only a handful of God-fearers in the whole city. None of them had yet heard about Jesus. Now, Philippi was an interesting place. It was a leading city in the region. It was full of business people, politicians, travellers, tradespeople, artists. It had a very strong culture and multiple different gods were worshipped there. Now, when Paul and his team arrived, they could have thought that the task of seeing the kingdom of God come in that city, in that city humanly speaking, looked absolutely impossible. And so when they arrive, Paul and the little team have an option. Do they, do they behave like thermometers or do they behave like thermostats? Now let me explain what I mean. Paul and his team did not behave like thermometers. They, did, they didn't just turn up in the city, take the spiritual temperature and say, okay, this is how it is then. All of these false gods are worshipped. There's all of this moral depravity everywhere. This is just the way that it is going to be. This place, this people, they will never change. Now, they didn't do that at all, did they? They behaved like thermostats. They knew that because they'd arrived with the good news of Jesus and the power and presence of God in them, they knew that they had the authority and the spiritual mandate to change that place and that it would never be the same again. Now, church, the same is true for me and for you. It is not our job, it's not my job, just look at the context of the place where I'm living and serving and say, well, only one in a hundred people go to church and that's just the way that it's going to be. No, Christians are called to be thermostats. We get to change the spiritual temperature of the place where we're living and serving. We're not called just to take the temperature of our schools, our workplaces, our streets, the places where we're raising our children and bemoan the fact that they don't look like the kingdom of God. No, we're called to be change makers, to be thermostats. We're called to set the temperature. We get to set the temperature of a place as children of God. Now, the reason that we can do this is the same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And so when you walk into your workplace, when you walk down your street, when you hang out with your neighbours or your housemates, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is living in you in that very same moment. Do you know that when you walk out of church on a Sunday morning or when you leave small group on a Tuesday night or a Wednesday night or whenever it is that you have small group, it's not like the Holy Spirit suddenly leaves you. Now you walk out of this place commissioned by Jesus to be his representative where he has called you to be. And it's in this context 
that we've been asked by our bishops, the leaders of the Anglican Church in this region, to play our part in seeing Newcastle and this region come to know the truth, power, and presence of God. The question for us is, what does that look like? What does it feel like for the kingdom of God to come? Now, every time we meet, we pray the Lord's Prayer. I'm guessing that most of you, some of you pray this prayer every single day, if not once, then several times. And when you pray this prayer, there's a line in it that goes like this. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Lots of us are praying that multiple times a day. But what does it look like for his kingdom to come and his will to be done? What would it look like in this city, in our region, for that to be true, for his kingdom to come and his will to be done? What does the kingdom of God look like? Well, the kingdom of God, the rule and reign of Jesus, looks like everybody flourishing as image bearers of the one true God. It looks like children being brought up to love who they are in God and who God has made them to be. It looks like children being brought up in families that are loving, secure and stable and call out the best in their children. It looks like poverty being eradicated as the dignity and value of every human being is cherished and celebrated. It looks like sickness and suffering fleeing at the name of Jesus Christ. It looks like institutions being transformed to work together for kingdom purposes. It looks like people who work in the education sector, knowing that they're called not just to teach children, but to bring out the best of what God has placed in those children. It looks like health workers partnering with Jesus to bring about healing. It looks like shalom, perfect peace and wholeness, the very presence of God. Now church, this is what our region could look like as we and all of the other fantastic churches in this region come together and partner with God to see his kingdom come and his will be done. Just before we had our first service in here, just three years and three months ago, we released a vision video. Some of you may have seen it. Um, in it, Lee, at the end of the video, Lee said this, at St. Thomas's, we see a city awakening to the power of God affecting every area of life in the city. We see a city flourishing, families thriving, and injustice being challenged. We see a city that celebrates the goodness of God. We see a city where the good news of Jesus crucified and risen is shared with all. Now church, that is still true today. And this is what I believe our city can look like as Jesus ushers in his kingdom, his rule and reign right here. Now church, we exist, the church exists to worship God and to enjoy him forever. But we also exist to invite others to know that as well. Now, believe it or not, the church is God's plan A, not God's plan B for bringing about this purpose. So have a look around at the people you're sat next to. We 
are it. You are God's plan A. Now, if this is true, then at the heart of our vision as a church, at the heart of our vision as a church is you. The heart of our vision of a church is you. R.C. Sproul said this, it is the task of the church to make the invisible kingdom visible. We do that by living in such a way that we bear witness to the reality of the kingship of Christ in our jobs, our families, our schools, and even our bank accounts because God in Christ is king over every sphere of life. The only way the kingdom of God is going to be manifest in this world before Christ comes is if we manifest it by the way that we live as citizens of heaven and as subjects of the king. We manifest the kingdom of God. Now this means that it's you that makes the kingdom visible in your workplace. It's you that makes the kingdom visible in your street, in your school, in your halls of residence. No one else has your job. Nobody else lives your life. You are uniquely placed to manifest the kingdom of God wherever it is that you're called to go. Now that means this. For those of you that are teachers, you are not just teachers. You are kingdom bringers as you call out the best in the children that God has entrusted to your care. You are not just a social worker if you're a social worker. You're a kingdom bringer as you bring dignity and worth to people made in the very image of God. For those of you that are parents, grandparents or godparents, you're not just called um, to bring up children, but you're called to be a kingdom bringer as you teach children what it means to be children of the kingdom of God. For those of you that are in healthcare, you're not just in healthcare, but you're partnering with Jesus to bring about healing. And so it goes on and on. We make manifest the kingdom of God. That means none of our callings are insignificant. Everybody who follows Jesus, everybody who's baptised is in full-time Christian ministry. Now, do you know that the word, the, the name Christian was first given to people in Antioch as a nickname? And Christian means little anointed ones. Now, church, that means that you are a little anointed one. You walk around as an anointed child of the Father to carry and embody the kingdom of God. Now, as you look around at church on a Sunday morning or an evening, whenever it is that you usually come, you'll notice that we're all different. We inhabit different ages, stages, life stories, callings. We work in different contexts. We spend our time doing different things. Imagine the difference that we could make in this region as we, along with every other church in the region, see ourselves as people that manifest the kingdom of God. Being a Christian is not just about going to church on a Sunday and singing a few songs, not watching as much bad stuff on Netflix as everybody else, or swearing less than others and drinking less than others. If that's all that being a Christian is, that's so boring. 
There's so much more to it than that. We need our vision enlarging of what it means to be a person that follows Jesus. So very quickly then, if this is why we exist as a church, if this is the long-term picture of where we're going, how are we going to get there? Well, at St. Thomas's, we have three things that you probably hear us talk about a lot. Following Jesus, building community, and loving Newcastle. And I want us to have a specific focus. We feel God is calling us to have a specific focus on, in one way for each of these things for 2023. And we're going to dive a little bit deeper into what these things are over the next three weeks. But I just want to paint a picture of where it is that we're heading. So first, following Jesus... For us this year, what we really want to press into in terms of following Jesus is encounter. That our lives as disciples will be marked by us encountering the living God. Now, if you look back at the passage with me, Acts chapter 16, in verses 6 to 10, Paul and Luke and the others, they only end up in Philippi because of encounters that they have with God that send them on a trajectory towards Macedonia. And when they get there, they meet Lydia, who has such a dramatic encounter with God that her and her whole household end up being baptised. They then meet a slave girl who's freed from demonic oppression and her life is changed forever as well. It's very likely that she was sexually trafficked to Philippi. And then in prison, they end up meeting a jailer who has an encounter with God and his life and the life of his whole house is changed forever as well. Encounter with God changes everything. So church, we need to be people of encounter, that we expect that when we come to church on a Sunday morning or when we gather in our small group, or when we meet with somebody else to pray, that we're going to encounter the presence of the living God. Over the past few weeks, I have loved hearing from so many of you who've texted me or sent me a message on Instagram or however it is that you've told me, that as we've been going through Jesus in the Old Testament, you've been encountering Jesus on every page of the Bible. That has been so exciting for me to hear. It's encounter with God that sustains us. Now, as vicar of St. Thomas's, I get to hear lots and lots of stories of how people encountering God is changing their lives every day. One person in my small group who was recently baptised had a life-changing encounter with Jesus a few months ago. And she, this is in her words, she said that this, this is how an encounter with Jesus changed her life. Encountering Jesus not only changed my life, but saved it. I couldn't find purpose in existing. I felt unloved and unwanted with no hope that tomorrow was going to be any better. But now I see hope through encountering Jesus and day by day I grow to know Jesus is real and he loves me. I know I will never be alone again as I will have the Father holding me every step of the way. Encounter with God changes everything. Now imagine what our region would look like if our encounters with Jesus led to more people encountering him every single day. 
And that's why this year we want to focus on encounter. When we gather to worship, to encounter God. When we meet in our small groups, for our small, group to be, small groups to be places where we encounter God. And like in Acts 16, for people to encounter God every day on the streets, by the river, as they're walking down the street in institutions like prison, for encounter with God to change everything, following Jesus. Secondly, building community. And this year, we want that to have a focus on what it means for our community to be a family. Now, what I love about Acts 16 is the different types of people that get drawn into the first church in Philippi. So look at the types of people that we see here. We see Lydia, a very wealthy businesswoman. Lots of money, probably lots of staff, big house. She gets drawn into the family with her whole household. Next, a slave girl who's demonically possessed, probably sexually trafficked, no prospects really of her own until she meets Jesus. She's now, she's now drawn into the community. Then a jailer and his whole household. They're next to be drawn in. What on earth did this first church look like? In a culture where you stayed in your own lane, where you stayed with people who had the same money as you, the same social status as you? What did it look like for this social community to suddenly spring up where jailers were hanging out with slave girls who were hanging out with wealthy business women? It looked like the most radical, diverse community that had ever existed probably in Philippi. And they called themselves a family. Look at the way that they were encouraged to behave with one another when Paul wrote his letter to the Philippian church just a few years after this trip in Acts 16. This looks like radical family. Now this year, we want to explore more of what it means for us to look like family together. And again, the world desperately needs to see what being family looks like, doesn't it? So many people are now coming from more and more um, what the media might call broken families or dysfunctional families. We need to model what it looks like for us to see each other, call out the best in each other, celebrate one another, to cherish one another, to call out who we are in Jesus Christ. Somebody recently said to me who doesn't have a um, positive experience of biological family said to me uh, about, the, about their, the relationships that they had formed at St. Thomas's. I never knew that family like this could exist. It's no good as having a bold vision of seeing the region transformed if we're not modelling healthy culture. And look, we are not perfect by any stretch of the imagination. In fact, we are far from it. We are far from it. But we're called to model healthy family. Mike Pilavachi once said this, the church is not called to be a business, but a family. The world is not crying out for more products. People are just desperate to belong. Building community, family. And thirdly, loving Newcastle. We want to have a focus on generosity this year. 
So look at the generosity that oozes out of these verses in Acts 16 as the city of Philippi begins to have some kind of gospel transformation. Paul and the team are generous with their time. They go to Philippi. They're generous in spending time with people. Once Lydia is converted, she's generous straight away. She invites Paul and the team to go and stay with her for, we don't know how long, but at least for a few days. The jailer, once he encounters God, is so generous that he invites everybody that's converted back to his house, where he and his whole household are baptised, and he sets a whole meal before them. Generosity seems to mark people that encounter Jesus Christ. As soon as people encounter Jesus, they're generous and give what they have. Now, church, we too need to be generous with what God has given us. Those statistics that I read out earlier, 99 in every 100 people that walk past our door in the Diocese of Newcastle or in your workplace don't know God. One of the ways that that is going to be transformed is through us being generous. Now, we've been given some amazing resources here at St. Thomas's. Look at this fantastic building right in the heart of the city. We don't want to just keep this for ourselves so we can have a nice, cosy time on a Sunday morning or a Sunday night. This isn't just a place for people to come and work. We need to use this building as a blessing to the city to open it up as much as possible so that people can, can come in, encounter Jesus, and be formed into the church family. We want to be generous with our callings. We don't want to just see our jobs as just jobs, but expressions of the kingdom of God where we can manifest the kingdom where we are. We want to be generous with our resources, our homes, our money. God has given all of that stuff so that we can bless others with it. And we want to be generous with our church family which means that this year we will be sending a team of people to go and plant and revitalise a church somewhere else in the diocese, which we are really excited about. If the region is going to be transformed by the power of the gospel and the presence of God, we're going to need churches to be planted in every single part of the Northeast as little outposts and signs of the kingdom of God that are, that are proclaiming the good news of Jesus, crucified, died, risen, so that we can have life and life in all of its fullness. Over the next 25 years, I expect that a church planting movement may have even been started that will change the fabric of this region once again, just as it did hundreds of years ago. Following Jesus' encounter, building community, family, loving Newcastle, generosity. Now, I see a region that can be transformed by the power of the gospel. Where the presence of God changes everything. Now we would love for you to join in with this and we're gonna be articulating how, you can get how we can all get involved in this over the next few weeks. But what would be great is if you join me in praying every single day for this in the coming week. 
What I'm going to do is set a notification on my phone several times during the day, 9 o'clock, 12 o'clock, 3 o'clock, 6 o'clock, and just my, my watch will buzz and it will remind me to pray, Father, your kingdom come, your will be done in this region as in heaven. Why not set a reminder on your phone for you too to join in with that? For you to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done in this region as in heaven. And may we be a people this year that set out on a trajectory that will see the region changed as we follow God and encounter him, build community and model family and love Newcastle through giving away. Amen. Amen. Can I invite you to stand where you are?